It's a report from man's farthest frontier, the radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik, the first man-made satellite as it passed over New York earlier today. It's been over 60 years since the first satellite was launched into space, and it was only a matter of time before those satellites outlived their useful life and turned into junk. Now, how much of a risk is the space junk that we've left in the environment? Oh, don't we get were... me started. Now, not long ago, the game plan was just to leave those dead satellites floating around up there. And while that may not immediately sound dangerous in the largeness of space, all of this junk is starting to pile up and it could pose a significant threat to the future of space exploration. Thousands of miles above our heads, hundreds of thousands of pieces of junk. Man-made rubbish travelling ten times the speed of a bullet. Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the world's biggest ideas and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. And in this episode of Moonshot, we're talking space junk. And those who, after decades of ignorance are now actually trying to clean it all up. But before we start sweeping up our mess, it's time for a word from our sponsors. There are more than 500,000 pieces of space debris floating around the Earth at this very moment. From old satellites to lost pieces of astronaut suits, rocket parts, paint chips, and a bunch of other stuff left behind. And like other man-made waste here on ground level, things are finally starting to catch up with us. We're at this point now where people are realising that all of that junk that we've left up there in space could actually result in a significant problem for space exploration. And that's because of a thing called the Kessler Syndrome. Here is Lauren Grush, a senior science reporter for The Verge, to explain. And it's this idea that as more and more space debris collide, fortunately that hasn't happened with much frequency, but the more stuff we put up there, the more likely that they will collide. And when these things do come into contact with each other, they create hundreds if not thousands of more pieces of space debris. And then that becomes a risk too. The idea was named after Donald Kessler a NASA scientist who first described the phenomenon 40 years ago. He stated that at one point we'll reach a critical density of debris in low Earth orbit. Once you reach this point of uh, the cascade, then, you know, the low Earth orbit uh, between like 500 and 700 kilometers becomes totally unusable because then as, as soon as you launch something, you know, it's being destroyed. This is Francois Rigaud, an associate professor at the Australian National University Research School of Astronomy and Astrophysics. This uh, cascade that we are talking about that has been uh, illustrated by this, uh, the movie Gravity, remember? Debris from the missile strike has caused a chain reaction, hitting other satellites and creating new debris, travelling faster than a high-speed bullet up towards your altitude. And while right now the risk of anything that catastrophic happening is relatively low, Lauren Grush says that risk may shift over time. It could eventually snowball out of control and then space in low Earth orbit would be unusable and we wouldn't be able to send up anything up there because it's just so congested. What we're trying to do is uh, basically clean up uh, low Earth orbit. It's a uh, it's an ambitious it's an ambitious goal. And, uh, but we want to create a long-term sustainable orbit uh, for future generations. That's Chris Blackaby from Astroscale, a company that's now actively trying to clean up the mess mankind has left in space. 
Chris has worked in the sector for over 15 years, mainly with NASA, but he's now Astroscale's chief operating officer. And it is an incredibly complex issue, not just from a technology standpoint, but from this whole issue of uh, international um, norms and standards and uh, pressures from from outside uh, uh, regulatory agencies uh, and various business case scenarios as well. So it's a really exciting topic to be working on. So, so what you're building is essentially like the garbage truck of space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we'd like to make it sound a little cooler than that, but but yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, we're, we're the, we're the tow service at this point, like going up and making sure that the, um, the orbits are, are maintained. And that's our first step. Astroscale essentially wants to send rockets to orbit that carry satellites specifically designed to retrieve and remove the big pieces of debris that are already floating around to help limit the risk of future accidents. Obviously, larger pieces of debris have a higher potential to hit more things. Uh, and so if we can pull down a couple of those a year, we can really um, reduce the risk. The business more generally has two main areas of focus. The first is active debris removal. That is cleaning up all the junk that's already up there in space. The second part is called end of life services, which aims to remove satellites from orbit once they've been decommissioned. You know, the reason that we have a hitch on the back of our car is so when it breaks down on the highway, you know, in, in America, at least, it's AAA. They come over and they hook, hook up to the car and they can tow it away. Astroscale's idea is this. Whenever you want to launch a satellite, you would need to install a hitch that will make it easier for the satellite to be returned back to Earth. Our proposal is having a, uh, a circular plate that attaches to the satellite, lightweight, uh, really uh, minimally intrusive, uh, doesn't impact the, um, the activity of the satellite itself, and on the, on the surface of the plate would be a ferromagnetic material. So we're talking about having a nickel surface on the plate. It is not magnetic in itself, but it can be attached to by a magnet. So that when that satellite fails, uh, when its end of life is reached, or where we're proposing first is if it fails before it reaches end of life, we would then send up our chaser satellite to go and attach to it and bring it down. While the initial plan will see each satellite dive into the atmosphere and burn up, the long-term view is to make all of this technology reusable. The cost of that from a Delta V, a, a, a change in orbit perspective, and the fuel costs are really cost prohibitive at this point. So we're, we're right now as a company looking at tech roadmaps and, and how we can develop the technology to, uh, to make that a viable business case. And part of that business case is making sure that companies that go through the effort of sending a satellite into orbit actually have a plan to remove the debris when they're done. We think that, you know, companies would start to see this as a necessity the same way we would, again, pay for towing a, a broken down car, um, that they would want to remove those uh, risks from their orbit. But while the business prospect of getting companies to have a plan to remove future debris is all pretty clear, the issue remains, what do we do about all that junk that's already up there? Many of the initial satellites were sent up by governments, who may not be as keen to go spending the money to remove a problem that they can't actually see. The governments look at this and say, well, the benefit of bringing it down is this, and the cost is this, and the cost far outweighs the benefit, so we're just not going to look at that right now. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not a problem. And Chris says that governments and businesses actually need to take some responsibility for what they send into orbit. Because as we mentioned at the top, 
When things go wrong, they can make the problem worse. There have been accidents. Uh, the most uh, significant of which was uh, almost 10 years ago now, there was a collision between a defunct Russian satellite and a U.S. Uh, communications satellite from a company named Iridium. They collided uh, in, uh, in, in low Earth orbit and created uh, tens of thousands of pieces of debris. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that, that could happen. And with so much debris actually up in space, how do we even keep track of it all? There are many different U.S. agencies that monitor this. So anytime someone wants to launch a rocket, the FAA has to uh, give them a launch license. The FCC also is responsible for giving licenses for radio communication. Uh, And so whenever you want to talk with your satellite in space, the FCC has to give you like a narrow band of the radio spectrum that that you can use to communicate. And through that licensing process, the FCC can also Um, you know, approve or deny you based on how small you are. And then once you're in space, uh, the Defense Department is the one that tracks everything that we know of and can see in orbit. So they use this thing called the Space Surveillance Network, which is a bunch of, you know, antennas down here on Earth. And they track everything that's, I believe, uh, bigger than a softball. (laughs) Uh, And that's thousands and thousands of objects. Last year, Astroscale launched the IDEA OSG-1 to try and monitor micro-debris in low Earth orbit, but the rocket failed and the satellite was ultimately destroyed. So what kind of impact does losing something as important as a satellite have on a startup company? So it was tough initially, obviously. Uh, it was because, um, you know, the team had put a couple of years into building this satellite. Uh, so it was it was hard, but, you know, space is tough. I mean, this is... This, this is this is what happens in this business. So everybody knew that we have a team of um, experienced engineers and a team of passionate people who were ready to to get back and solve it. So you know, after a, a day of licking our wounds, we we were ready to get right back at it. Now, Astroscale's goal isn't to remove all of the debris that's around the Earth. Chris says that just wouldn't be at all realistic. To say reducing all of the debris, it's like saying, are we ever going to be able to remove every piece of trash from the ocean? Uh, And, you know, that's not likely. What we would like to do on that latter example is remove as much as possible to make sure that, uh, you know, wildlife is sustained and we maintain clean, uh, you know, aquatic environments as much as possible. And that's that's kind of what we're aiming for. So um, I think that's probably the more realistic goal. And unlike cleaning up garbage here on Earth, it seems like people are going to need to come up with more out-of-the-box ideas to have any hope of removing all the junk in space. And Chris says we're only just scraping the surface of how we deal with this big looming problem. We're at the front end of this issue, and I, we're Astroscale is not just developing the technology. We're trying to help be a thought leader to think about how we can solve these problems. And a lot of that is in this issue of, okay, let's think of a creative way to fund this stuff. Um, And we're we're getting a lot of interest from a lot of different areas. And we'll be exploring more of these creative ideas for dealing with space junk right after this break.
Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and when it comes to removing all of that debris that's floating around in space, Astroscale aren't actually the only ones looking at this problem. People have proposed like a like a sort of giant shrimp yeah, shrimp trawler in the, the sky basically with, with a net. This is Mike Wall, a senior writer at space.com. Yeah, not like the same size as like like a seagoing vessel on, on Earth, obviously, but like like a satellite up there with a net that it uses to, to snag stuff and drag it down. Like that that's a real idea that people are taking seriously. And there's there are a bunch of other ones too. And like some of those some of them are like really really space age, you know, like using a laser on Earth to like blast things out of the sky. And that that would pose a lot of other problems, obviously. I mean eventually we want to we want to be able to perturb space junk out of orbit with these lasers using photon pressure. This is James Gilbert. He's a project engineer at the Australian National University. His idea is that every time a small piece of space debris passes overhead, a laser could be focused on it. And eventually, due to the the, the force that photons actually um, exert on an object, which is very small, but it's there, like you don't feel it from the sun or anything, but it's there. Uh, if you do that many times, eventually you can just destabilize it and, and it and it goes away. Is that a little bit like uh, the the you know laser from the Death Star that <laughs> that you're just like focusing it on on space junk? Yeah, yeah, we only focus it on space junk. Honest, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the reason we're developing this. <laughs> And it may or may not surprise you that shooting a laser beam at this space junk from Earth is actually not that easy. See, it turns out that the atmosphere creates a significant problem when you're trying to point your laser at space. And while you may have this picture of the Death Star-like laser beam destroying a planet, in reality, a powerful laser beam on the Earth's surface actually loses its power the closer it gets to space. The characteristic of the uh, atmospheric turbulence is that most of the turbulence is within the first 100 meter above ground, but you have about yeah 40-50% with uh, that is uh, distributed between uh, so 100 meter and typically 12 to 15 kilometer. So you may still have you know turbulence uh, very high, like 10 kilometers. All of this means that your laser beam is actually quite spread out as it approaches space, making it almost useless for removing space junk. But if you can pre-scramble the transmission of the laser on Earth and work out the atmospheric conditions, it's possible to use the Earth's atmosphere kind of like a magnifying glass, so that as the scrambled laser passes through the atmosphere, it concentrates on a point in space, allowing you to remove the debris. You can actually analyze using uh, some um, guide star, and uh, most of the time it's going to be a laser guide star. So it's a, an artificial guide star that you create at about 100 kilometer uh, height. So if you point this guide star in the direction of the debris that you want to push, you can actually, by analyzing the light that's coming back from this laser guide star, know the aberration uh, in your atmosphere. And if you know the aberration and you 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 deform your deformable mirror to, uh, to exactly counteract this aberration, your laser beam will start, you know, all scrambled, but when it will have crossed all the atmosphere, it will be restored and flat. But ultimately, will that be a feasible way of getting rid of all the junk? Here's Mike Wall again. 
like it would definitely work. But anytime you have like one group saying we have this the space laser that we're going to shoot satellites with, but you can trust us, we'll only use it for good. Like there are going to be some people who say, wait a second, how can we believe you? And yeah, there that's yeah, that's 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 a scary prospect. When we think about all of the space activity that's about to happen in the next decade and beyond, the need to remove all the debris in space becomes even more urgent. If humans actually start flying into space commercially, which there are all signs that we will, we need to make sure that we don't end up in a gravity-type situation so that we can secure the safety of those first space tourists. We don't want to have to go through, you know, play like the game of Frogger, right? You know, the old video game, remember that? Hopping around different uh, trash trash uh, highways, you know, to get out to the moon or to get out to Mars. So we want to, we want to avoid that issue. Astroscale is focused on trying to act quickly to reduce the potential for a catastrophic event as it becomes easier and cheaper to launch satellites. <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the more you add to a certain orbit, the more likelihood that something could happen. And so there's a lot of companies now that are talking about and are actually doing launching uh, smaller satellites into low Earth orbit. A certain small percentage of those will likely fail. Uh, and if they fail at a certain height, they're going to be stuck in that orbit for centuries. So it'll be this this constant threat uh, orbiting the globe that, that could at any time hit uh, an asset, a company asset or a government asset. And while we know that space junk is a growing problem, there is still a lot of debate surrounding who is ultimately responsible for cleaning up all the mess that we've already created. In Japan, where, where we're where I'm based and where the majority of, of AstroScale's work takes place. Um, the Japanese government has been very interested in this and they're, they're talking about how to, how to make uh, some kind of missions in the future work where we can actually remove some old uh, defunct Japanese rocket bodies. Um, they're actively talking about it, pretend, you know, arguably one of the leaders globally in talking about finding solutions to do this. The US recently introduced Space Policy Directive 3, which encourages the defence and commerce departments to boost their ability to both manage and track the objects that exist in space to provide safe transportation for future commercial activities. So it's basically put out there to say, hey, let's let's figure this out. So it's the steps being taken right now by governments are farther than I've I've ever seen it. And in talking to people uh, in DC, in London, in Tokyo. People are saying, oh, yeah, this this is becoming a critical issue and governments are starting to take notice. They're starting to sit up and pay attention to this and think about how they can solve this problem. The commercial companies are recognizing that it's not just a, a nice to do environmental sustainability issue, which on its own is, is positive. Right. We tell our kids to clean up after themselves and pick up trash just you know, it's just a good thing to do from the environmental perspective. They're also recognizing that it's a business sustainability issue, that uh, if they want to make sure that they're able to maintain their business service, that that they should be doing this. So to that end, we see different uh, commercial groups, organizations getting together to say, hey, people are starting to take notice of this. The public is starting to take notice. Governments are starting to take notice. Let's get ahead of the curve and put in place norms and standards that we all say we'll follow. Like all great space moonshots, this mission to clean up our solar system could seem a bit overwhelming and perhaps a little far out of reach. But Chris says it's those big futuristic goals that make space 
such an exciting industry to work in. It's not just uh, you know Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, you know things that we can't relate to. It's stuff that we can relate to on a on an everyday basis, and it really it really does change the world, the work that people do in space. So all of the, the passion and excitement and possibility that starts at a young age and and doesn't really leave the people who are connected in the space industry. Um, it makes it just a just an exciting place to work. Many thanks to our guests in this episode, including the team at the Australian National University, Chris Blackaby from Astroscale, and also thanks to Mike Wall from Space.com. Mike has a book coming out in November. It's called Out There, A Scientific Guide to Alien Life, Antimatter, and Human Space Travel. We'll put a link in the episode show notes. And also thanks to Lauren Grush from The Verge. You can check out Lauren's work at theverge.com. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media. You can find out more by visiting lawson.media. Moonshot is hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Research and scripting for this episode by our intern, Mahalia Carter. Our amazing cover artwork is by Andrew Millist, and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We really love hearing from you, our Moonshot listeners. So if you want to keep tabs on what's happening with the show, go and find us on social media. Just search for Moonshot Pod. Thanks for listening. And before we go, I wanted to tell you about another podcast that I love. It's called Darknet Diaries, and it's about hackers or those that have been hacked. The adventures are unbelievable and astonishing. So if you're at all interested in why hackers do what they do, I really encourage you to go and check out Darknet Diaries. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts. We'll put a link to the show in the episode description.